This is Reaganism, a podcast dedicated to exploring where the Reagan movement lives today. I'm Roger Zak. I'm your host, director of the Ronald Reagan Institute in Washington, D.C. On this episode of Reaganism, Roger speaks with Marian Zablatsky, a member of the Ukrainian parliament, about the ongoing war in Ukraine and the role of America and the West in supporting democracy and freedom in the face of continued Russian aggression. Marian Zablatsky, welcome to Reaganism. Hi there. Thank you for hosting me. Well, Marian, you're, you're known, uh, of course, as a member of parliament and the servant of the People Party in Ukraine. And you're coming to us, of course, now, I assume, in Kyiv or uh, within Ukraine. Uh, and we're, we're grateful for your time. Um, do I have that right? Are you coming in from Kyiv at the moment? Yes, coming to you from Kyiv. Uh, I'm sorry, I would normally be in my office, actually in front of uh, Ronald Reagan poster. But unfortunately, we have a curfew starting at 11 p.m., which is local time. So I, I do have to post a phone but thank you very much for, for having me. <laughs> well, uh, we have the Reagan posters here at the Institute and the Reagan background. So we, we've got that taken care of. Uh, and we're grateful for the time you're giving us uh, so late in the day for you. Uh, top of mind for the world and certainly the United States is the situation in Ukraine, uh, the plight of, of its citizens, its fight. Uh, to repel uh, Russia's invasion. Marian, could you give us a bit of insight into what's going on in the ground, what the status is in the capital, and of course, uh, in the battlefield uh, right now? Uh, ne- never been more proud to be Ukrainian as I am now. As Ukrainians, my fellow citizens have shown extreme and unbelievable unbelievable courage and creativity in terms of repelling the Russian army. Uh, and second to that, I've never been so convinced of the power of freedom. Because, you know, a lot of people talk about what what is our edge? How do we do this? You know, at the very beginning, we were winning the war against all odds. And I can tell you our edge was freedom because we knew that we were fighting for concrete values. And Putin has been sending slaves to conquer free people. That just doesn't work. And especially as you watch a lot of videos, as you understand, you can see and understand how significant the morale is higher for the people who are fighting for freedom instead those who are directed those by a dictatorship. Yeah, it's a strong words in terms of never been more convinced of the power of freedom and, and you've connected that to the morale of Ukrainians, certainly those of us reading and watching what's happening, uh, seems to be that, uh, Ukraine, despite the overwhelming odds and the technical, you know, the, the, the challenges of dealing with, uh, Russian mass, uh, the spirit is up and you continue to fight. Um, Putin of course now seems to be, double downing on the strategy, uh, increasing uh, commitment in terms of personnel and materiel. Uh, what is What are the prospects of the Ukrainian military being able to break through what seems to be a growing Russian column trying to push through uh, in the Donbass right now? Uh, well, first of all, it's been truly remarkable and will be something that will be studied by military analysts and economists for ages. Now, before the Russian invasion, their military expenditure was 12 times higher than Ukrainian ones. You know, they've been spending uh, in a month what we were spending in a year. 
and still their invasions fail spectacularly. There is one uh, monitoring group that monitors the losses, and it's very good in terms of at least proportionality. They monitor only those losses that can be confirmed by via via social network. So they have confirmed, unfortunately, just over 410 losses for me, and just through social media, they confirmed 1,700 losses for the Russian army. So the losses for Russian army are completely disproportionate uh, in principle. And again, we return to the power of free will and freedom. One thing is that you are defi defending your land. On the other hand, again, if you're an army that just receives orders to move there and go there, you do a lot of bad mistakes. Now you execute orders, you like you align in a long column, which is very easily to, to get destroyed. And that's what you currently see on the battlefield. And that is very encouraging. As far as you mentioned the Putin speech, I watched the whole two hours of it. I mean, uh, I probably watched something similar when Brezhnev was speaking. Mm. Uh, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Putin spoke a little bit about the war, but he also spoke about ecological tourism, about uh, medical vehicles, what, you know, whatever. Small stuff that has no relation to real life. And the message was, look, to Russians, do not look at how the war is going. Just keep in mind that we are peaceful and safe. But I pretty much sure that everybody understood that he looked ridiculous. And even though I cannot believe that I will ever feel sorry for him, he looked pretty ridiculous. And I almost wanted to feel sorry for him from his last speech. Amazing. I, the, the reality, though, is there's a serious challenge before Ukraine. Uh, the Ukrainian military is is facing uh you know, larger numbers despite as you mentioned before uh the heavy losses the russians have taken although there's been significant losses on the ukrainian side marian we had the president of the united states joe biden travel to kiev and have uh meetings with uh president Zelensky uh, and other officials in the capital were you pleased with the visit uh, do you think the message of support was adequate from the U.S. president? Biden's visit was very uplifting, especially at the upcoming anniversary. And since Russia is launching a lot of campaigns, that something is sort of going to happen at the anniversary. And Biden visit showed that everything's going to be okay. Uh, I do regret that this visit did not happen earlier, as we had the president of France, the prime minister of Germany, we had the prime minister of Great Britain visiting us three times already. So Ukraine was relatively safe to anyone, but still it was a very strong show of friends uh, towards Putin. And uh, especially after his ridiculous speech the very next day, you know, this this was a truly remarkable combination that has really uplifted our spirits. Marin Zablotsky is our guest, of course, member of parliament uh, in, in Ukraine. What is the general view? Is it a, of, of of the members of parliament and support for President Zelensky and a, and, and view towards the United States? Is there general consensus within the parliament? Um, you know, President Zelensky uh, currently has an approval rating of, I think, about just 95%. And we do know from international media that he has become sort of a hero uh, and one of the 
one of the leaders of the free world in principles and, and the symbol. We do very, very much appreciate that. We do very much admire him. And I can tell you, you know, that a lot of people said that they were surprised. I'm definitely not surprised. Uh, he was always the man of Aries, and I remember many uh, advisory meetings with him that he was always at the table, even on the most members of parliament, always asking, how do we fight corruption? How do we discorrect this correct? He wanted to be a historical figure uh, in a positive way, and that's what he's getting, and that's what he's receiving. One of the key aspects that's been a priority for President Zelensky is getting the support to accomplish the strategic objective. And by that, I mean the objective from President Zelensky in Ukraine is to roll back Russia, Russia's advances since February at the very least. Uh, of course, there's uh, what Russia's uh, occupation and taking of Crimea in 2014, but the very least from what happened in February of 2022. And the nature of the support from the West, and particularly the United States, has been slow, and the capabilities that are required to roll back are, are not fully realized. Marion, what is top of mind for you? What is the, the, the nature of military support that you think is essential uh, that perhaps uh, has not arrived? President Biden talked about a half a billion dollars more of aid. But what, what, what do you think is most critical for Ukraine at this moment in terms of military aid and support? Uh, well, first of all, we are very grateful to U.S. people and U.S. taxpayers for providing aid to Ukraine. Uh, we know that this is a lot, and we do very much appreciate uh, President Biden's willingness to go the extra mile to provide the technologies, you know, because sometimes it's not about the numbers, but with the principle that, yes, we trust you with handling this technology. Uh, it's often asked whether we would like to receive more. First of all, very grateful, but yes, more. So, you know, uh, receiving 31 A1 Abrams things is huge, but United States has 8,000 of them. I'm maybe true, maybe not, but I'm pretty sure 500, uh, 500 tanks less probably would not know the difference. But with 500 tanks instead of 31, we would destroy Russia completely. We received like two dozen, uh, I think 24 high marches, which made a huge difference in the battlefield. Uh, American military possesses 1,300 of them. Uh, it's not a question whether Ukrainian military can defeat Russia. Even with the tiniest fraction of current equipment that US possesses, we can do that within weeks. I would really very much like to hope that U.S. Uh, President Biden and whoever just make the decision that yes, we give specifically what Ukraine needs to be victorious against Russia. It is uh, the position that Russian military support and their equipment turned out to be support that even such small quantities you know, make huge difference. To defeat them is not a problem in any sort of way. We, we just really hope that such a decision is reached within Biden's administration. So more tanks, Abrams tanks you referenced, and the HIMARS system uh, have been effective more. Um, there's been discussion in Washington uh, between D.C. and, and Kiev about fighter aircraft, um, 
reports that the Ukrainian Air Force, of course, has been depleted and they'll need at least fourth generation fighters. Uh, what's your thinking on the prospect of getting fighter aircraft, which, of course, um, should have a material impact uh, on the fight in the ground? Uh, fighter aircraft would be extremely important in terms of eliminating Russia's ability to bombard our cities. You know, once every two weeks, we have a mass rocket air attack from Russia. So first of all, they would be used against their cruise missiles. Second of all, they do use an limited amount of their aviation, uh, which makes a significant impact and a lot of lives are being lost because of that. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that their assault aircraft would not be used had we had a limited number of aircraft. But once again, look, uh, had we had 5% of Abram tanks that US possesses, which would amount to like 400 of them, and no, no, not sorry, 10% 10, 10 would amount to 800 tanks, right? Trust me, 5%, 400 tanks, we would destroy Russian army. 1,300 uh, high marses, uh, you know, between 24 and 60 is already a huge difference. We would well, destroy the war. No doubt that the, the spirit of the Ukrainian people combined with Western technology and military platforms uh, is, is a winning formula. We've seen evidence of it, although, of course, now, uh, as we've discussed, Vladimir Putin's double downing on, on, on his strategy and is willing to throw people, uh, you know, whatever it takes and just stay, seems to be stay there uh, as long as needed from his perspective, which seemed to be uh, uh, for Ukraine to try to break through and accelerate uh, the fight and not allow this to become a, a conflict of attrition. As you know, Marianne, you have good connections uh, in Republican circles here uh, in Washington. You've been developing those relationships. There's skepticism and concern amongst elected Republicans as well as uh, uh, you know Republicans across the United States in terms of how much support financially, militarily, the United States should give to Ukraine. There's general consensus that uh, the United States should diplomatically support Ukraine, but concern about the level of support in terms of dollars and material. Uh, what, what's tell us about some of those conversations you had and uh, your feeling about Republican support that is U.S. Republican elected officials and others supporting Ukraine. Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, support for Ukraine is a bipartisan and it's not dependent on either Republican or Democrat. It's just because American people are amazing. They support whoever, and it's independent to Ukraine, whoever wants freedom. And you have this fight of underdog against the bully, and I'm pretty sure that Americans will always support the underdog against the bully. I think that's the major point. Uh, now in the Republican circles for a long time, it's not a surprise for me that those are the ones who ask the tough questions, what about the taxpayer funds? Because you care, and that's normal, that's okay. And, you know, I also remember that uh, it was President Trump who was the first one who sent javelins to Ukraine, which Obama's and Biden's administration refused, despite all the rhetoric and comments. I do remember that it was President Biden's almost one of the first his external politics decisions to lift sanctions against Russian Nord Stream 2 to Germany, only to reverse that, and he was reversing Trump policies. 
uh, I do understand that uh, a lot of Republicans require additional accountability because they take take care according to domestic politics about taxpayers more. But I do know that historically they have been much tougher on this issue that I told and actually much tougher on Iran, for example, who is currently bombing our cities again, you know, which, which Ukrainians never expected. So uh, I don't expect any changes in case anything happens. If anything, I, I would expect Republicans to show stronger position on Iran and Putin if something changes domestically in US politics. You mentioned Iran's support, uh, lethal drones that they've given to Russia. Uh, we're talking with Marian Zablotsky, member of parliament uh, in Ukraine, coming, us, coming to us from uh, the capital in Kyiv. Describe to us, uh, if you can, the attacks that are coming in both from the uh, Ukrainian-made, uh, sorry, Iranian-made drones, as well as just the Russian cruise missiles on civilian targets. Uh, what have you witnessed? What have you uh, seen and, and, and heard from uh, your constituents? Uh, what we currently see and talk about in Ukraine are the excess of assholes or the worst neighbors ever. It's uh, Russia, North Korea, Iran, and Venezuelan regime. Uh, all of which are providing arms to Russia and all of which are somehow leading to Ukrainian death, right? If if you really think about it, there's no worse neighbor than the four countries that I told you about, just plain horrible. It's Iranian drones that always precede the attack on Kyiv. And we know that most likely tomorrow they are coming. So they are using cheap Iranian drones to starve our air defense systems, then the Russian cruise missiles are coming again. And some of those drones are actually currently made in Venezuela. And we know that it's sometimes the shells from North Korea, which are bombing our cities. I mean, it's the last stronghold of the worst regimes possible that we are basically fighting against. Fortunately, we are, uh, we have the the backing of the freedom-loving countries and compared to their strengths you know it's it's just incomparable yeah. it, you have the allies you would you would you would want freedom-loving countries as you mentioned uh the axis of of venezuela north korea iran and, and russia I, I, as you say our friends really nobody nobody would want marianne one thing that's gotten a lot of coverage of late um, is reports that China and President Xi of the Chinese Communist Party are considering, uh, per a uh, statement from Secretary of State Blinken, giving military aid to Russia, and there was communication from the United States uh, encouraging, telling them that that, would, that that was something they should not do. That's what's been reported here. Uh, in the U.S., what are you hearing and seeing with respect to Chinese involvement in Ukraine? Um, so far, uh, China has been very neutral. Uh, I myself fundraised quite a lot to buy the Chinese drones, which of course we never buy from China directly, but from stores in Germany. And they have not taken any active steps towards limiting the use in Ukraine, although probably in the distance in retrospective they could. They do not also limit their use in Russia, for example. So I can tell you as of the moment, they are neutral. 
but I think uh, it's the only game changer that can help Russia. As I told you, by our estimates, Russia has lost well over half of their battle-capable tanks, and actually the best ones. They cannot physically replace anything. They they are not. They just do not have the production capacity. The only the only theoretically country they can turn to is China. I do very much hope that China does not make this choice, does not make this mistake, but probably, unfortunately, it can be the only game changer. So China could be a game changer, but right now you're not seeing the, any evidence of Chinese moving outside of the, the neutral zone. You mentioned that your fundraising efforts include uh, buying Chinese drones, and I assume here this is your other activity as a board member for the Ukrainian Arsenal of Liberty. Marianne, tell us about what the Ukrainian Arsenal of Liberty is, uh, what you've done to strengthen and, and, and perhaps improve the, the arsenal that Ukraine fights with. Uh, thank you. So for, for anyone is interested, it's ukrainianarsenalofliberty.org. Long name, sorry, but uh, I came up with a simple idea and this is not just fundraising for Chinese drones. I've been admiring gun culture in the US for years. I know it may sound weird from the outside, but I actually do. I admire the Second Amendment and I've been trying to implement the same thing in Ukraine for years. It has actually been adopted right after the Russian invasion. But the idea is simple, you know, just before the Russian invasion, less than 2% of Ukrainians were armed. Uh, I want them to be at the level which is in the United States that you have more guns per population than per country. I know you have your internal significant discussions about it, but for us it's a, it's a matter of survival. And I've been successful uh, at asking uh, for donations to arm specifically Ukrainian civilians. Of course, uh, in the in the area of artillery, it might not make much difference. But when you come into the cities in which citizens armed, Ukraine Russian army would never have done what what they did. And I've been successful at convincing first of all the police of Miami to donate their assist firearms to the police of Ukraine. And we, we were receiving some donations to specifically arm the residents of the cities who have been through Russian occupation. So in a matter of the next week, we will be arming the citizens of Irpin who have successfully, and it's, it's a story for the ages, how specifically civilians prepared the Russian army. So this Ukrainian arsenal of liberty, this, uh, entity is trying to arm citizens and you're focusing on Ukrainian citizens who are in Russian occupied areas. Um, and you're getting the support, um, from all over, including the United States and, uh, reference Miami there. Tell us what happened in Miami with the mayor. Um, he was very gracious. So we approached several cities and they started a gun buyback program. And they promised to donate the buyback guns to Ukraine. Uh, I also uh, told them, look, uh, you probably have a lot of ceasefires that you are destroying. It, it's your internal issue whether you decide what to do with them, resell them. But as long as you are destroying them, let's look at the second option. How about you just give them to us? 
uh, it will save you some money on destruction and it will take care of all the other costs to deliver them to Ukrainians. And what will happen in the near future, we will deliver that to the citizens of Rupin who have been through partial occupation massacre. And we will arm the citizens of Rupin, the policy of Rupin, uh, for them to be able to protect themselves. I know that tens of thousands of firearms are seized and destroyed in US every year. Uh, we, we, we would really like to get them. That, that would help the protection of our country a lot. One of the things, Marianne Zablowski, that uh, you're famous for in the United States, if anybody Googles is you, your name, is uh, your admiration uh, for Ronald Reagan uh, profile in the Washington Post uh, a little less than, a, you know, six months ago, perhaps uh, less than that, focusing on uh, your connection to Reagan and your work with uh Republicans, elected officials. How did you come to admire Ronald Reagan? Uh, it wasn't like this is someone you had met. You were uh, you're south of forty, so uh, he was kind of exiting the presidency when you were born. Um, I do not know how this started, but I, since I was a child, I always associated Reagan as a man who led Soviet unions to its inevitable fate, who quickened it who led to its collapse and who was victorious over the Soviet Union through his policies. Uh, my, I remember my father, who was also an economist, told about him in, in admiration. Uh, and he was always in Ukraine a sort of a figure that if you wanted to show something to the whoever allowed communists, you, you should say that you like Reagan. <laughs> uh, so I, at one point when I created uh, Ukrainian Connect Freedom Foundation, I thought, look, it would really be cool to have a Ronald Reagan monument in Kyiv and to be put in a place where there was a former monument to a communist leader, you know, just, just to piss Russians off. Uh, and that, that was even before the, the large-scale invasion. Uh, we, uh, we were almost done as starting the monument, but unfortunately the Russian invasion began. Uh, but I think now we have ideas even for better locations that we had before. So this is, you want to put this in, in the, uh, was it Petersky district in Kiev? Um, yes. and you had plans to have this uh, seven foot Reagan statue there. Um, but, but the war, uh, interfered just like it interfered with so much in, in Ukrainian life. So now you, you, you have plans for something else. Tell us about that. Uh, well, we initially started a, a place and we actually received a formal approval from Kyiv City Council uh, to install the monument where there was a monument to a leader, uh, which was destroyed actually by citizens on 22nd of February 2014. Uh, this was actually the day that Putin initially chose for the invasion, but just decided to delay it two days ago, because this was the day where our former president Yanukovych fled. Uh, we may change the location. Uh, one is uh, the the arc of friendship with Russia, which of course has no sense right now, and where there was also a monument to a communism, which was destroyed during the Russian invasion, the large-scale Russian invasion. And secondly, you know, just a week ago, like. 50 feet from where we wanted to install a monument, there was a monument to a, a Soviet general 
So I think that that is even maybe a better spot. But trust me, we'll have a Reagan monument placed exactly at the spot which put piece of the lovers of the Soviet Union the most in the whole world. <laughs> well, uh, consider the Reagan Foundation Institute here to help. And uh, we would love to to be there with you and, and others in Kyiv uh, celebrating your freedom uh, and doing so with uh, a statue of Reagan in a, in a prominent and consequential place, symbolizing, as, as you said so eloquently at the beginning, uh, the power of freedom. We're with Marian Zablotsky coming to us from Kyiv, Ukraine, member of parliament, uh, talking about the situation on the ground and also what Kyiv will look like once Ukraine prevails and repels Russia's invasion. Marian, before we go to our, our lightning round, we've we've spoken so much on the geopolitics, on the financial assistance, the military assistance, and the like. Give us a, just a, for a few minutes a sense of um, the morale of, of, of a people, the Ukrainian people, those, and we know so many uh, women and children have left the country. Um, life is far from normal, yet Ukrainians try to normalize and go on with their life every day. Uh, give us a sense of what we would see if we were to come visit with you in Kyiv. Uh, I think it was a poll conducted two days ago, which showed that 95% of Ukrainians believe that Ukraine will win the war. Uh, that's the overwhelming spirit, and it stays this way. Of course, uh, uh, it's very uplifting to see how the power of freedom and here is powerful and how we are, we are winning against the bullet. But again, you can never be completely happy because people are actually dying every day. Now, the Iranian drone, for example, killed the family of a husband and his pregnant wife. Uh, if there, if it was other choice, did we want to go through it? No, because many people died tragically from the Russian and Iranian hands. Um, is it uplifting a nation building? Yes. Um, so that that's basically the spirit you will see. Let's go to our lightning round. You are a Reagan enthusiast, as we discussed. We ask every guest of the Reaganism podcast to share with us their favorite book on President Reagan, their favorite speech by President Reagan, uh, their favorite quote from President Reagan. You can give us all three, two, or just one. You are the first to uh, participate in the lightning round from Ukraine. So uh, we'll take anything you have, Marianne. Uh, first of all, I don't know for whatever reason, but I I watched probably his uh, Reagan's debate with uh, candidate Mondale several times. Also for the famous joke that he did, but he was truly amazing at at uh, inspiring empathy from people. He, I I do not know any other person, not only as president, besides him like that. And in my office, I really wanted to have uh, uh, this video call from him, but his quote about that freedom is not something that is inherited and stays upon is absolutely 100% true. There will be always someone trying to challenge that. There will be, uh, there will be uh, 
always somebody like in your regular life trying to bully you, stealing money, trying to exploit you. There should always be a system and freedom loving people should never relax. Should always be a system under which you should be aware that the bully, the asshole, a criminal will be always out to get you. That's just the nature of life. You should always find that. Reagan understood that and he he was a genius about that. Myron Zablowski, it is a honor to have you on our show. Thank you for sharing with us insights into what's going on in Ukraine. And we uh, stand with you and your citizens in your fight for your freedom. Uh, we hope to have you back. You can continue to educate us and share with us what's going on. And we'll do our best here to support you and the people of Ukraine. Uh, thank you very much for having me. You are and your supporters invited to the opening of the coolest Reagan monument ever possible in Kiev. Uh, I don't know when, when this thing will end, the uh, large-scale invasion, maybe even during during this we will install, but we will definitely install the coolest monument ever in Kiev. We'll get it done. We'll be there. We'll do a Reaganism live from Kiev. It'll be a first. Can't wait. Thank you. Thank you for coming. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Reaganism. New episodes premiere weekly every Monday on YouTube and all podcast streaming platforms. If you like this episode, be sure to let us know and share with a friend.